So, Father, we thank you for this time that we have in the Word of God as we continue in Proverbs and how we need your wisdom. And I pray that tonight that as we come into this place, perhaps a long day we've been working, maybe some haven't even had a chance to eat dinner. We want to feed upon your Word right now. And uh, as we go through it, um, that you may speak to our hearts, help us to apply these things in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've gone up to chapter 23 of Proverbs, um, as we've been going through the chapters, uh, you recall that, that every verse was a proverb. It was a single thought. So it took a little time to go through it in these chapters. And now that we're in chapter 23, what we're going to see is that the proverbs are more linked together rather than just a single thought. So we're going to be able to move through it a little bit quicker. And also, as we study the Word of God, Solomon writing these words down, inspired by the Spirit of God, that the Bible tells us a lot about what we should do. As we read the precepts, the commandments, the instructions of the Lord, he tells us how it is that we're to live, but also the Word of God tells us what we should not do the things that we are to stay away from, the things that we should avoid, the things that will harm us. And so those instructions are given. And in this chapter, that's what we're going to see, that we're going to see that we're going to be told what not to do. And the words do not are repeated in this chapter as we go through it. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 23 of Proverbs, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, Consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. Now remember as we go through the poetic books that there is going to be that language, that uh, poetic language of the Old Testament Hebrew poetic language. And here we're not being told that, uh, that if somebody of authority, somebody that has a position um, that you look up to or you know, a boss asks you over or whatever the case may be, that you shouldn't go over and eat with them. That's not what's being told to us. And, and don't put a knife to your throat. Um, that's not what we're being told to do. But what we're being told here is that make sure that when you're at that person's table, maybe it is somebody of, of influence or maybe somebody that has an important position, just keep your wits about you, all right? Uh, you know, just be discerning and wise in that because there may be a motive that they have for having you there, and that is they want something from you. Maybe they want some information. Maybe they, they you know, want you to do something that, that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. So in other words, don't just be ones that you're just going to uh, be there and uh, you know, take in everything that they say. Just keep your wits about you. Remember that there may be a reason that they have you there, that uh, you need to be discerning and wise in that. Now, it's not in every case, but I think there's good wisdom that is here because sometimes, particularly in our society and in our culture, we get so enamored with people of position or people of prominence or whatever. And if we have an opportunity to sit at the table with them, you know, we can just kind of lose our wits and our wisdom and our discernment in that. So make sure that you're one that is discerning and why you're there and what is being said. Beware of flattery. Sometimes, as we've already said, 
that flattery, when somebody comes and flatters you, it may be because they want something from you. Now, that's different than lifting each other up and edifying one another. And, and I see that happen. I see that happen here when we're greeting one another. You guys are encouraging one another. You guys are blessing one another out there in a the coffee shop before service. And those things should take place in the body of Christ. But, you know, when somebody comes along, you know, when they flatter you, uh, maybe they want something from you. Maybe they've got an ulterior motive for uh, that isn't quite right and good and, and healthy um, that they're seeking from you. So beware of those things. Keep your wits about you. But we continue on in verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Now we've talked a little bit about this in our Luke study, which we're going to continue on Sunday morning. But in chapter 12, when Jesus would warn the people and his disciples about covetousness, and he said that one's life does not consist of what they eat and what they wear and the possessions that they have. And he would tell of the parable of the rich fool, the one who had a, a, a bountiful harvest and, and was blessed. He said, I will tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns and I will do this and I will store up my goods and I will eat and I will drink and I will be merry and I will take my rest for a long time. But God said to him, fool this night, your soul's going to be required of you. And the tragedy of that rich fool was this, not that he was rich, because keep in mind that the Bible does not condemn riches. We see men of faith that they were ones that were very wealthy. When you look at Abraham in the book of Genesis, but he was a friend of God. You look at David, he was a wealthy man. He was a man after uh, God's own heart. We have Solomon here. He had abundant wealth. He had so much wealth that he wore golden sandals and rocks in Jerusalem, we were told in those historical books of the Old Testament, were as valuable, you know, or silver was as valuable as rocks in Jerusalem. That's how much silver and gold there was. And, and yet Solomon had the wisdom of God. You can go to the New Testament and you see that Joseph of Arimathea, that we are told a disciple of Jesus who would take care of the body of Jesus when he died on the cross and that he was one that had a tomb nearby in a garden and he would uh, put Jesus in his tomb that had never been used and Jesus only borrowed it for three days and, and then he would rise from the grave, wouldn't he? But Joseph of Arimathea was a ruler. He was one that we're told in John's gospel was a wealthy man and he was one that loved the Lord and was a disciple of the Lord. Listen, if the Lord blesses you financially or possessions or materially, be a good steward of that. Be a friend of God. Be one that has a heart after God. Be one that has the wisdom of God and be a disciple of the Lord where you're investing in the kingdom of God. And the problem with that rich fool was it was all about him. He gave no thanks to the Lord. He gave no, you know, acknowledgement to the Lord. Uh, he did not desire to invest in the things of the Lord. It was all about him. And I think one of the tragedies, even in the church today, and you guys know my heart on this, and the whole prosperity movement that is so popular in the church today is that the focus is on the temporal. One of the things that really is coming out that we are seeing in 
Luke's gospel, but as you read the words of Jesus, as you read, you know, the apostles, the New Testament writers, that they always had a focus on the eternal, didn't they? They had a focus on the eternal. And as Sue and I were talking about this last night, uh, about Paul's prayers, because the conference ladies is going to be on prayer, and how his prayers in the New Testament were always zeroed in on the spiritual, you know, things of, of the church and, and of an individual. And he would always pray that your eyes may be enlightened with understanding what is the hope of your calling. That was the prayer that he gave to the church at, at Ephesus, he would say that you would know uh, the love of Christ and abound in the love of Christ, that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. But when you look at the prayers of Paul the Apostle and Peter and the other writers, when you read the words of Jesus, it was always focused on the eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God, remember, in, in Luke chapter 12, and then all these other things will be added unto you. And the tragedy, when there's such a focus on the temporal, is exactly what Solomon is saying here, that those riches and possessions and everything that we have is going to go away. And the only thing that will last is what you invested in the kingdom, what you did for Christ. Are you storing up your treasures in heaven? And Jesus talked a whole lot about that. So what my prayer is, whether you have a lot or you have little, that you would be one that you would invest in the kingdom of God, not just of your money, but of your time and devotion to him. That you be a good steward of what God has given to you, be thankful to him, and you invest in the kingdom of God and keep that a priority in your life. The Lord will take care of everything else. So here, Proverbs telling us that, hey, those riches can fly away and, and those riches will go away, and make themselves wings and they'll fly away like an eagle towards heaven. In verse six, do not eat bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, will, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Uh, Interesting. It it seems a little bit strange when you initially read it, but a miser is one who has a lot, um, may be wealthy, but they're cheap. In other words, they spend as little as possible and, and they hoard riches. Matter of fact, if you were to, to you know, look up the word miser, uh, one of the examples of a miser that's given from the early 1900s was a lady by the name of Hattie Green. And maybe some of you have read about her, that she was very wealthy. Matter of fact, she died in 1916. And she was worth about $100 million when she died in 1916. Now, $100 million is a lot today, isn't it? But back then, it would be equivalent to having billions today. And she was one that she made her fortune um, in the stock market and in Wall Street. And she became a miser, so much so that the large Uh, mansion that she lived in, she completely turned the lights off, turned the heats off to where her and her son lived in one little room and they had a fire going because she didn't want to pay for the heating bill. She would send her son out to get a newspaper. They get a newspaper that costs a nickel and her son would come home with the newspaper and she would read it. And then after she was done reading it and checking the stock quotes, she would fold it up and she would make him take it back to get the nickel back. That's a miser. 
she was one that her son, when he broke his leg or his arm, I can't remember which one, I think it was his arm, that she did not want to take him. It was a severe break to the hospital. And what she did is she waited till the free clinic was open a few days later. And what happened is the arm got infected and her son lost his arm. He was amputated and it affected him greatly. Now that's a miser. That was one that, that really wa- didn't want to spend any money, just hoard, hoarded it. And, and, um, and that's what it's being talked about here. Listen, for you and for me, freely you have received, freely you shall give. And one of the things that I pray that we always do here at Calvary Chapel is, you know, we want to be wise in the finances that we have. We have a budget. Uh, we, we go over everything. We have a tight budget. Um, we don't have a huge building, um, you know, but we take care of it. But what we want to do is we want to invest in the kingdom of God. And I appreciate your support in that and your prayers in that, whether it comes to missions, whether it comes to the radio program, the radio program expanding. Calvary Live now is going to be heard on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, and in Maryland, uh, an audience of over 6 million people, the, the population in that area. And it's wonderful to, to know that, that we're going to be this fellowship of blessing as I do Calvary Live, as it is broadcasted on the East Coast, as well as all along the Front Range up into southern Wyoming. And so we want to continue to give. We want to invest. We want to invest in the kingdom of God, and um, we want to do it wisely as the Lord leads us. So here he's talking about, you know, don't eat bread of a miser, desire his delicacy. He, his heart really isn't into it. And I pray our hearts are always into whatever the Lord would have us to invest in as we just want to get the gospel out, as we want to to minister to others. We give Bibles away free. We give CDs away free. We, we try to give the word of God. I love to give the word of God away free. We've given away thousands of Bibles as people come in and we don't have a Bible. And we'll give them Bibles and we'll give them CDs and we'll do whatever we can. And we want to tell them about the greatest free gift that's available. And that is salvation that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we are finding out here, we have found out over the years, is that we can't outgive God. That as freely we have received, freely we shall give. He just continues to bless and to, and to provide for us the things that are on our hearts and how he leads us. In verse 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. So Proverbs has talked a lot about fools, right? And, and we've seen that. And we've seen this principle, this truth before, that be careful not only what you say, but who you say it to. Because a fool is not going to listen to wisdom. Now, again, a fool, as we've gone through Proverbs, is one who is not going to listen to godly wisdom, not interested in godly wisdom, not interested in in seeking godly wisdom. So here he he says uh, in uh, this Proverbs, he will despise the wisdom of your words uh, as you do that. So they don't want to listen. You don't have to spend time arguing or disputing with them endlessly. In verse 10, do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause 
against you. So what we're told here is, speaking of landmarks, um, don't take them away. Don't be dishonest, in other words, is the, the theme here of these verses 10 and 11. The Lord defends those who, as he says, the fields of the fatherless. Keep in mind that the Lord has a special heart for the orphans and for the widows and for the poor and even for the stranger. And the Lord says that I will defend them. And, and the Lord has a special heart. So going through Proverbs, we have seen that we shouldn't take advantage of them. We should not come against them. Uh, we should not look down on them. But what we are to do is be kind to them and give to them and to, to minister to them and how the Lord leads us. In verse 12, and apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Um, again, as we have talked about, keep growing in wisdom. Keep growing in wisdom. Keep growing in the Word of God. It is so critical for the day in which we're living in to be grounded in the Word of God. And the best way, I believe, to be grounded in the Word of God is going through the Scriptures chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And that's why I'm dedicated to teaching that that way to you. And sometimes, listen, I commend you guys for coming out on Wednesday nights in middle of January when it's cold and a long day of work and, and being here and going through the scriptures because it's going to strengthen you. It's going to give you wisdom. It's going to help you to grow spiritually. There's no other shortcut. Sometimes Christians think, oh, I'll grow if I can go and, and the experience is a priority and, you know, or if I, you know, whatever the case may be, growing in the word of God, just knowing him, knowing the scriptures, keep studying, uh, come with a ready mind, never stop learning. I pray that you never say, oh, I went to Bible study for a while. You know, I went to church for a while. I did devotions for a while. You can never exhaust the word of God. Timothy, Paul would say at the end of his life, in his second imprisonment in Rome, Nero had begun to persecute the church very, very heavily. And as he had Peter arrested and he had Paul arrested, Paul writes his last epistle that's recorded in the New Testament. And he writes to Timothy. Timothy, by the way, would be about that same time, right after Paul wrote that letter, would be beaten to death in the streets of Ephesus as he was pastoring the church there. So a great persecution was happening. And Paul, he's writing there his last words that we have recorded. And he says, you know, that all have forsaken me. Except for Luke, he's with me. And he's just pouring out his heart, my departure's at hand. And I'm already being offered up as a drink offering. And I fought the good fight and I've run the race and I've kept the faith. And there's a crown of righteousness that is laid up for me. And Timothy, come to me quickly. Bring my coat. I just picture Paul, it's cold in that, that dungeon. Bring my coat, but especially bring the parchments. Bring the scrolls. Bring the word of God to me. And as I think about that, just the desire, here's a man that wrote a lot of the New Testament that was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And he was one that continued in the scriptures. 
And he would give that word to Timothy. Timothy, in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. And men are going to be lovers of self and, and haters and violent and describing what our society is becoming today because I believe we are in the last days. And he says evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. So what is your manner of life that you are to continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood, knowing this, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Continue in the scriptures that you have been learning. You'll never exhaust it. And as you come with a ready heart and ears open and eyes desiring to be opened up, that you may be enlightened in the word of God, you're going to be one that is going to walk in wisdom. And I believe in the days in which we are living in, which are perilous times. I pray that things get better for our nation with a new president going to be sworn in here next week and a new Congress. I pray for that. But more than anything, I pray for revival. And I pray that there would be a great awakening that would happen in this nation spiritually, that we would humble ourselves and and repent and cry out to the Lord because we need to do that as a nation. And I pray that takes place. I pray that our president has godly influence around him, but that as we do, it's going to come through the word of God. It's going to come through standing for righteousness and the truth of what God's word declares. And you are going to be able to minister to those who are around you in your life, whether they're at work or family members or you go to school with them, whoever it might be. Continue to grow in the truth of God's word because there's a lot of voices that are out there, a lot of deception that is out there that will lead people away from the truth. And culture around us is screaming at you and me as a Christian to compromise the truth of God's word. And may we say, I'm going to continue in the scriptures that I've learned from childhood. And I know it's going to benefit me and bless me and help me. It's going to make me strong. It's going to make me wise. And just as we saw in chapter one, there's safety and security in knowing the word of God. So here are these these important words that are given to us in verse 13, that do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. And you shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now again, in this poetic language, he's not saying take a, a, a rod and beat your child. What he's saying is you need to discipline. Now when I was a child, I was spanked. You can ask my mom. And I got quite a bit of them. But it's because she disciplined me and she did it and dad because of love for me. And the thing is, for us as parents, we need to discipline our children. We know that because we want them to learn what is right. They need to be disciplined. We want them to grow up to be responsible. We want them to grow up and do well in life. So as the Lord leads you, and that's between you and the Lord, You be one that you discipline your children. Do not ignore that. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, what we are told as fathers that we are to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord, that we're to take the lead in that, that we're to take the lead in our families and ministering to our children. And I pray that you wouldn't be passive about it, dads, or just pass it on to mom, that you are very much an important part of that correction and discipline to your children. And as you do, 
You talk to them. You deal with their hearts, not just yelling at them, not out of anger, but out of a love for them saying this is wrong and you're going to be punished for it and there's going to be correction given to you and it hurts the heart of God. And that's one of the things that I think is really important in discipline is we need to deal with their hearts. And, you know, we as Christians, we are chastened by the Lord. We already saw it in chapter 3. That in, it's repeated in the book of Hebrews. Ladies, you'll see it as you go through Hebrews. That my son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. I have absolute confidence that if I was to ask you parents, why do you discipline your children? You would say, because I love them. And I want them to do well. And I want them to learn. And that's why the Lord gives us spiritual spankings, you know? Because he wants us to go by the way of righteousness. The author of Hebrews goes on and says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Because we are sons and daughters of the living God. He's going to chasten us. He wants us to go the right way because he knows if we grow up being spiritual brats, you know, uh, that is going to lead us down a road that is not going to be good. And it's not going to be healthy spiritually. He desires for us to not go down that road of carnality or sin because he loves us and he doesn't want us to get hurt. And it's a loving father. Listen, I hope that we understand this. I do not for the life of me understand why pastors don't want to talk about sin or, you know, carnality. And we just, uh, we want to stay away from that. We don't want to bum people out. Listen, the Lord loves you. And he gives us his word and how we are to live. Because he knows that sin and carnality and disobedience is going to bring harm to us. And it's a loving father that says, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to go down that road of deception. I don't want you to go down that road that's going to do you in and wipe you out. And so he will draw us to himself. He'll chasten us. He'll discipline us because he loves you. And you see, living for him, that's the highway of holiness. That's the better way of living. That's the way that he desires for us to live for him is to to be free. You know, there's this perception sometimes that if I just do what I want to do and live any way that I want to, contrary to the way that God tells you to live, that I'll be free. You're not going to be free. You're going to be held in bondage. And you're going to be deceived. And you're going to be in darkness. And Peter writes that you've been brought out of that darkness into his marvelous light. And as we live for him, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's true freedom, living for the Lord. That's what grace is all about. Paul says, should we continue in sin that grace abound? He said, certainly not. He says, you're free from, you know, all that. You know, we identify with Christ. And as we live for him, that's true freedom. You want to live a good life and a life that is free. You want to live a life that is good 
and real purpose and meaning, live for the Lord. And as you do, you're going to see that the Lord is going to do incredible things in your life. So here he, he's saying some really important things to us as we continue in verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice indeed, I myself. Yes, my innermost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. So, you know, it's a great day when we see and hear our kids walking in the ways of the Lord. Um, and uh, here he's, he's just, you know, my son, uh, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. It reminds me so much of what Third John 4 tells us, that no greater joy than this, John writing at the end of his life, that no greater joy than this, that my children walk in truth. And I always tell kids, and I tell, you know, uh, young kids and, and youth kids and, and young adults, I said, you want to really please your parents? Live for the Lord. And you will bring great joy to them. And that's what Solomon is writing about. In verse 17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. You know, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on eternity. Don't envy those of the world. You have no reason to envy those of the world. We live in a culture, again, that we love to, um, we're enamored with. We, we love to look at, know about those of prominence, you know, rock stars and entertainers and sports stars. And, and so many of them live bizarre lifestyles. They seem to have all the money that you would want, all the fame, all the popularity, and people envy them, and I want to be like them. Why would you want to be like that? There's no reason for any of us to envy, you know, those of prestige and prominence and fame and all of that. Now, there are those few that are a good example that we can look up to. But many of them live very bizarre lifestyles and are very empty because they don't have the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you don't have to be envious of anyone. You don't have to be envious of anybody at work or in your family or whoever's linked to you in your life. You don't have to be envious of anybody in the church. I don't have to be envious of another church, another pastor, another ministry but rather being thankful for the ministry that God has given to me. And the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, he has something for you to do that nobody else can do. And the ministry that he's given to you is very, very important. Just as important as Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or anybody else that you see. God is using you know, them in a special way and have used them but he wants to use you as well. So perhaps, mom, as you're raising those little rascals and you're changing diapers and you're ministering to them and you're reading the Bible to them and praying with them, that's an important ministry. And God is delighted. Maybe you're here and you're taking care of elderly parents. Or maybe you're doing a ministry outside these four walls. Whatever that the Lord has you to do. Maybe you have a ministry of prayer. 
I know people in this fellowship that that's their ministry is to pray for me and pray for the leadership and they pray for us. How I value that. We don't have to be envious of anybody. God has something for you and you are valuable to him and he wants to work in you and through you. So keep your eyes on the Lord. In verse 19, hear my son and be wise and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Uh, make sure that, you know, that if you're focused and hanging out with just those who are uh, drinking and being merry and all of this, you're going to be bankrupt spiritually is what we're being told. You end up going to be poor. You know, it is important who it is that, that we're hanging out with. And, you know, it doesn't mean that those uh, that perhaps we work with, their family members, that we don't care for them, you know, or stop loving them, stop caring for them, witnessing to them. But don't let them drag you down. Don't let them drag you down. You know, we talked a little bit about this, I think, on Sunday. Remember Jacob? Esau was a carnal individual, wasn't he, as the scripture says? And when Jacob, after 20 years, finally met up with Esau, Esau said, Jacob, why don't you travel with us? Come with us. We're going to go over here. Jacob said, no, you go ahead. You go ahead, brother. Because we're going to go on to Canaan. And as you journey in life and as you travel in life, make sure that you're headed in that direction that God wants you to go. And don't let others bring you down. Make sure that uh, you have good good fellowship with those who are going to build you up and, and bless you. And listen to your father, verse 22, who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Uh, the indication here, the implication is a father and mother who raised you and was godly and um, you want to honor them and, and listen to them. Um, we have those who are here in the fellowship. They're like spiritual fathers that they are very wise and, um, you know, they've been around and walked with the Lord for many years. And they have things to say that give me wisdom. And it helps me. So we want to honor, you know, them. We want to make sure that, that we're listening. We don't want to be. It's kind of like, remember when after the death of Solomon, who came on the throne? His son, Rehoboam. And remember the story that's told to us that it was, you know, the people that came to Rehoboam and said, listen. Your dad really taxed, taxed us heavily. It was, it was a burden to us. Um, can you ease up on us? And what did Rehoboam do? He went to the elders, the older elders that were under Solomon and said, you know, hey, this has come up. Oh, what do I do? And they said, listen, serve the people. Serve the people. You know, be kind. Ease up on them. And as you do, they're going to respond to you in a positive way. And they're going to follow after you as a king. He goes to the younger guys that were around him. And the younger guys said, don't take that advice. What you need to do is you need to tell them they haven't seen anything yet. And I'm really going to stick it to them. That's my interpretation. 
But that's what Rehoboam did. He goes to the people and he says, listen, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm really going to stick it to you. It's going to be hard. You're going to be like under my thumb. Uh, That's how hard it's going to be. And so they blew the trumpets and the 10 northern tribes went off. And that's when the nation split because he took the wrong advice of those who were immature and carnal and will not take the advice of those godly men that he should have in serving the people. And it caused a national split, the house of Israel and then the house of Judah. So make sure that we're listening to those that, you know, we don't despise them, our spiritual fathers and mothers uh, that have godly wisdom. And then as we read verse 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So um, sometimes we forget how important wisdom and truth and understanding of the things of God are. And God's word is given to us freely, isn't it? Uh, And we're to be diligent, to be a worker that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Um, Again, uh, the way to bless parents is to walk in the ways of the Lord. And uh, it does bring great joy to us, doesn't it, parents? And then in verse 26, My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well, uh, in verse 27. And she also lies in wait as a vic- for a victim, and increases the unfaithful among men. Um, the warnings that you remember that he gave in chapters Uh, five through seven about the seductress and adultery and how it's going to thrust you down into hell, into the pit. Be careful. Don't fall into that sin. Families have been destroyed. Marriages, reputations, For a few minutes of pleasure. And it's sad to see. And the scripture warns against it. Stay away from it. In verse 29, woe has, uh, who has woe? Who has sorrow and who has contentions and who has complaints and who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine and those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you'll be like one who lies down in the the midst of the sea or like the one who lies on top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Drunkenness. Make sure that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. Paul writes in chapter 5 of Ephesians, circumspectly, walk carefully. And he says, know what the will of God is. Make sure that you're not filled with wine, but with the Spirit. I know that some of you perhaps feel the liberty of having some wine at dinner, whatever the case may be. 
But I do want to say this, for those who pursue drinking and alcohol, again, I have seen so many lives destroyed because of it. As a pastor, I almost hear it weekly. That has destroyed families. People have lost their jobs. Literally, because of drunkenness, lost their lives. I have done funerals. I have done funerals in the 25 years of ministry I've been in for those who drank themselves to death or went out driving in in a car drunk and got in a crash. It is a destroyer. And here the Bible is warning us against it. And here Solomon is saying, you know, who has woe and sorrows and contention and complaints? It brings so much sorrow and woe, not only to that individual. And some of you have dealt with maybe a parent that was an alcoholic. Or maybe a child as an alcoholic and your heart hurts. And the wounds and the, the, the hurt and... And you see it, it's like a viper that's going to sting them and they're going to get bit. You just see it coming. And you end up saying things, as it says here, perverse things and doing things that you end up regretting. And, and it's like a train wreck ready to happen. And I'm so sorry if you're watching a loved one go through that. But if you're here, and I know that perhaps... And maybe there may be a tendency for even those in the church to struggle with this. We want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you and help you. But turn away from it and get some help if you need help. Because it is a destroyer. And don't glorify it. Don't ever think, oh, I'll go out and party with my friends, you know, after work and no big deal. We have a great time and don't glorify it. It is bad news. Be filled with the Spirit. Continue to take in the things of the Lord. But don't be under the influence of that. It caused Aaron and his two sons to be consumed with fire because they were intoxicated. We see all kinds of examples of it being bad news and destroying people's lives. And we can see it around us. So we need to be praying and helping and warning people to pull people aside and say, listen, brother, you're going to continue to go out partying and drinking or whatever. It's going to hurt you. It's going to bite you. And it's going to bring whatever destruction eventually. So make sure that you're staying away from it and make sure that you're not being filled with it and ask God for help if you struggle with it as we go to the Lord. So Father, we thank you. Sometimes hard words, but I'm so thankful for your truth given to us to set the record straight. And Lord, I do pray for for us that as we learn your wisdom and how to live for you. Hey, Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need you. 
And I pray for anybody that is here that struggles. Maybe it's not with alcohol, but maybe pulling things up on the computer. Pornography. Maybe it's just anger. Bitterness. Sin. Lord, that we would see it, that it's destroying us. It's bringing us down. And it is a loving Father that says, I want to free you from that. So I pray that you would turn to the Lord right now and cry out to him and ask for help. Because his commandments are his enablements. And that you stay close to Christians and stay close to the Lord and the word of God and be in a place where it's healthy. And to get rid of that stuff. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live for you in everything. If we have anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, Lord, we know that it will do us in and wipe us out as well. And we don't want to live our lives being angry and bitter. Help us to forgive those who have been hurt. To not be bitter. To come to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. I thank you for tonight. Words of encouragement, wisdom given to us. And Lord, I want to pray if there is anyone listening on live stream or on the radio later, perhaps you're here tonight. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you and he is your salvation. There is none other. He's the one, the son of God who went to the cross and died for your sins. That you can be forgiven. And he rose from the grave. He rose from that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He conquered sin and death and validated who he was. Truly the son of God and what he did in dying for our sins, making atonement. A church can't save you. You can't save yourself. You can't rely on your parents' faith or, or whatever. It has to be you coming and realizing your need to be forgiven and to cry out to the Lord. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that means anything to anyone here tonight listening, will you pray, today is the day of salvation, that Jesus, I come to you and I give my life to you right now. I ask that you would forgive me, forgive me of my sins, and that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe that you rose from the grave and you're speaking to my heart. And I want to live for you and to know you. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for your forgiveness. And help me to know you all the days of my life. Thank you for welcoming me into the family of God. In Jesus' name. And if anybody prayed that prayer tonight, as I'm going to stay up here, as we're going to close here in just a minute, I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. But for all of us, that we would go out of this place rejoicing because we've been here. And more dependent on the Lord than ever before. I thank you for all who have come here tonight, Lord. Take us home safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand?